The task is not, in truth, the writing in a narrative form a precy of a strange human document, but the rendering, I perceive it now clearly, of the moral conditions ruling over a large portion of this earth's surface. Conditions not easily to be understood, much less discovered in the limits of a story till some key word is found, a word that could stand at the back of all the words covering the pages. A word which, if not truth itself, may perchance hold truth enough to help the moral discovery which should be the object of every tale. I turn over for the hundredth time the leaves of Mr. Razumov's record. I lay it aside. I take up the pen, and the pen being ready for its office of setting down black on white, I hesitate. For the word that persists in creeping under its point is no other word than cynicism. For that is the mark of Russian autocracy and of Russian revolt. In this pride of numbers, in its strange pretensions of sanctity, and in the secret readiness to abase itself in suffering, the spirit of Russia is the spirit of cynicism. It informs the declarations of her statesmen, the theories of her revolutionists, and the mystic vaticinations of prophets to the point of making freedom look like a form of debauch, and the Christian virtues themselves appear actually indecent. But I must apologize for the digression. It proceeds from the consideration of the course taken by the story of Mr. Razumov after his conservative convictions, diluted in a vague liberalism natural to the order of his age, had become crystallized by the shock of his contact with Haldin. Razumov woke up for the tenth time, perhaps, with a heavy shiver. Seeing the light of day in his window, he resisted the inclination to lay himself down again. He did not remember anything. But he did not think it strange to find himself on the sofa in his cloak and chilled to the bone. The light coming through the window seemed strangely cheerless, containing no promise as the light of each new day should for a young man. It was the awakening of a man mortally ill, or of a man ninety years old. He looked at the lamp which had burnt itself out. It stood there, the extinguished beacon of his labors, a cold object of brass and porcelain, amongst the scattered pages of his notes and small piles of books, a mere litter of blackened paper, dead matter, without significance or interest. He got on his feet, and divesting himself of his cloak, hung it on the peg, going through all the motions mechanically. An incredible dullness a ditch-water stagnation was sensible to his perceptions, as though life had withdrawn itself from all things and even from his own thoughts. There was not a sound in the house. Turning away from the peg, he thought in that same lifeless manner that it must be very early yet, but when he looked at the watch on his table, he saw both hands arrested at twelve o'clock. Ah, yes, he mumbled to himself and as if beginning to get roused a little, he took a survey of his room. The paper, stabbed to the wall, arrested his attention. He eyed it from the distance without approval or perplexity, but when he heard the servant girl beginning to bustle about in the outer room with a samovar for his morning tea, he walked up to it and took it down with an air of profound indifference. 
While doing this, he glanced down at the bed on which he had not slept that night. The hollow in the pillow made by the weight of Aldine's head was very noticeable. Even his anger at this sign of the man's passage was dull. He did not try to nurse it into life. He did nothing all that day. He neglected even to brush his hair. The idea of going out never occurred to him, and if he did not start a connected train of thought, it was not because he was unable to think. It was because he was not interested enough. He yawned frequently. He drank large quantities of tea. He walked about aimlessly, and when he sat down, he did not budge for a long time. He spent some time drumming on the window with his fingertips quietly. In his listless wanderings round about the table, he caught sight of his own face in the looking-glass.